0: Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. Today, I'm joined by Jake Pryslack. Okay, did I say that right? You got it right, spot on. <laughs> Jake Like I was very concerned that I was going to get that one <laughs> wrong uh, before before we hit record. Um, nailed it. So yes, we've got Jake with us today. Um, he's been in the research world uh, for, for quite some time now, and he's actually just moved over to GP as a research and insight manager. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm really good, thank you. And yeah, great to be here and yeah, looking forward to the chat amazing. Um, So yeah, tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you've been up to in your career over the last few years. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So I've predominantly been a agency researcher, working those solid long hours at night, trying to get reports out to then build those clients after that, and then moving on to the next client. And that ever, ever ending sort of circle of Um, being an agency researcher, um, previously worked with companies like Google, F1, um, government, and yeah, different sort of sports brands. Um, And now I've yeah just moved into my first sort of client side role um, of my sort of career to date. So it's a a really big, big change with, yeah, some assumptions that I might have made or uh, other agency researchers might have made in the past. And now, yeah, really looking forward to the the challenge of, yeah, being that cl- client side researcher.
0: Very cool. Yeah, we're going to dive into that a little bit. But before we do, um, so I, <laughs> this is kind of a tangent, but I've been watching a lot of those like Formula One shows or like Full Swing on Netflix. And Sale GP, when you described it to me, I immediately thought of sort of like, I don't know, what's going on in, on all of those Netflix shows, like especially Full Swing with, um, the competitiveness of of what's happening there um anyways i would love for you to describe to people who are listening because a lot of people are from north america what is sailed gp
1: um so it's a a sailing sports and entertainment product where we have um nine f50s that race on water which go at approximately sort of hundreds um 100 kilometers per hour um around a circuit so think of of formula one but on water um, and it's a okay. nation versus nation league. So it's not like F1, which have your sort of Red Bull, Mercedes, um, and they'll be all sort of dotted around different locations right. and countries. This is your sort of US team versus um, GB, Denmark, um, and all the other sort of different countries that we've got in our our league, so it's yeah, it's a growing league. We've got loads of different sponsors and partners on board, including sort of Rolex, um, near Oracle, just to name a couple. Um, cool. And yeah, it's a really exciting time for the yeah for the sport.
0: Really cool. I, sorry, I was just very curious because um, I'm not a big sports girl, so it was uh <laughs> it was interesting to be like, oh, there's this thing that I've just absolutely never heard of, but it sounds very exciting. Um, so I guess. I really want to dig into kind of your previous agency experience and what you really felt like you brought over from agency into the client side and how that transition has gone. Cause I believe you've been at sale GP for six months. Yeah. Um, So I'm sure you're just sort of setting up, setting up that function and um, figuring out exactly what you need, but has there, Ben anything that you sort of learned on the agency side because you've worked at, at quite a few <laughs> different agencies um that has been really particularly useful as you're looking to set up um, the the insights function at SaleGP.
1: gp yeah, definitely and i think I think one of the the first learnings I've taken is that sort of methodology like how to actually conduct a uh, proper customer research at scale. So if I take you back six or seven years when I was doing my my master's, my very first research project was with disabled individuals. um, And I was interviewing disabled individuals about their their experience in a local community. And then those results would then get shared to um, some local government officials. And I could actually see some of the differences that the local government were going to make off the back of the sort of conversations i've had with individuals um, and that was probably the looking back that was probably the worst research project i did in my entire life at, at um during my <laughs> masters um, and i would never do something like that ever again but it was the first why, why uh, was
0: it so bad um
1: i think it was more just the the questions i asked and right um, you just
0: didn't know what you didn't know
1: yeah i just didn't know what i didn't know and it was Yeah, just one of those projects where it was, I was a student um, and yeah, probably didn't really know the nuances I really wanted to sort of think about when when conducting a research project. So then stepping into the agency world, I was sort of very much one of those individuals who was learning on the job, learning off different sort of research directors at the time, um, learning how to actually conduct a um, yeah, a really good piece of, of research that would be quite insightful and, and actionable. Um, and I think some of the key skills I've taken away now are things like, yeah, how to conduct research in a, a really good, efficient way, um, but then also that sort of communication element. So instead of just a research report or or findings being stuck in a folder, how can I effectively communicate those those results and insights Um To the rest of the business in a a way that makes sure that yeah they remember it and and take all that information in.
0: Yeah, I've actually seen on your LinkedIn for anyone who is interested in the space, you're like pretty active on LinkedIn, which is which is really good to see. I feel like there's not a ton of research and insights folks who are super active. It's mainly um, you know the the digital marketers or demand gen marketers. But um, I did see a LinkedIn post from you that's kind of said that there was. I think you might have said it more blatantly than I'm saying it now, but like that there's an issue essentially with the way that people socialize insights around a business. Um, and we, I guess on both the agency and client side need to get better at it. What do you see as being sort of the issue from a socialization perspective of insights?
1: Um, I think we, we tend to think of a, a research report as a, like a product product in comparison to thinking of it like a a piece of content, like a long form piece of content. Um, So if you think of it as a a long form piece of content, any marketer then would create different sort of snippets and different elements from that long form piece of content um, for people to read or view or um, to to watch. That should be exactly the same as a, a research report. It's a 30, 40 page sometime research report. How can you then um, translate that into sort of short nuggets of information for people to sort of take away and and take action from?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And with your role at SailGP, how do you sort of plan on like creating a culture where you can treat a research report? like a long form piece of content like because I feel like that's a big step change in people's minds right in terms of the way that they work with insights um, to better understand their customers
1: yeah it's massive massive change and it's not a an overnight success totally. at all but if I if I just take like I will receive 30 40 page ag- agency side reports monthly um but then I I look to try and like I said, create pieces of content around those reports. So I might create 10 or 15 um, one page infographics based on a key mm. insight. And then I can share that with, with different departments. It might be a internal research um, podcast for people on the move. So if people we obviously have a lot of events around the world, so there's a lot of moving parts and people moving Very around. Cool. So how can you put those insights Enable people to to listen to those research insights on the move, um, doing different sort of stand up debriefs in the office and virtually for people to to look at those um, insights and then what to do to, to do after that fact as well, um, and just generally raising awareness of of what's happening around the business when it comes to to research, um, and it's just thinking that like on the on the train to work today I was scrolling on a an article I was listening to a podcast I was messaging people on my phone we're doing so much so many different things at, at the same time and it's making sure that um as a research report I'm trying to create pieces of content that naturally fit into how people consume information and how people sort of read or interact with um yeah daily daily information so if that's just a generic email or audio video just c- communicating in general um yeah anyway that's how i'm trying to um yeah bring bring research to life really at GP.
0: yeah that's so interesting i've never heard of especially the you know podcast angle or like the audio angle i've never heard of anyone um moving into that space to try and get people to engage with the insights and i think that's that's a really good shout because there's so many people who are, we actually just produced a report called the distraction epidemic, which essentially does some research into what you're describing. I'll send it to you afterwards, but Mm. um, essentially it's like, how do you break through in a world where we're all doing 12 different things at once? Um, But I think the audio piece is a really smart one because it's almost, I'm not going anywhere without my AirPods in. Like I'm, if I'm going to, the the tube or um, we call it the subway here um or if i'm like going for a walk or i'm at the gym like i'm not not listening to something Mm. so why couldn't it you know be something from work that's actually going to teach me something
1: yeah and and i think um it doesn't have to be a, a fully edited audio like like this or like other podcasts it it can be in its rawest format of just you sort of speaking through or, or you in an agency speaking through some of the results. And then it's all sort of on demand and it's not like you are sharing a report in an email and then it get lost because that same person is receiving another 50 emails. It's all on oh demand. God, so you can yeah. go back over <laughs> over time and yeah, get to see those those results um, and listen to what's, what's happening. Um, yeah. Whenever you want.
0: And yeah, yeah, in the moment. And I, I like that it also recognizes that people learn in very different ways. Like, mm. you know, like that we're doing also doing a campaign around data storytelling, and for some people, if you know, obviously the story needs to be sound and clear, but a lot of the the researchers I'm speaking to are like, yeah, but if it's not visualized in the right way, then no one's mm-hmm. going to understand it. So, um. And then I'm thinking as well, like, well, what if that's not how some people learn? Or like internalize information. So I like that the idea of it's almost like adding a voiceover to the research report, just like at the outset. Um yeah, which is, absolutely. Yeah, it really takes, nice.
1: yeah, it takes um a little bit longer to to do it that way, um, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. It just means that when you're if you're a a research team who wants to go down that route, you have to think more clearly about actually who do you hire as part of your team um, and totally. what sort of skill sets they can bring to to your team, um, which might not be a the most traditional sort of team setup um, if you want to go down that sort of content research um, route to sharing insights.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Um, so is this the first role of its kind at SailGP? Was there any insights managers there prior no, to the joining? So I was,
1: no, so the, I was the very first, or am the very first sort of insight manager at GP. So I've had a, um, I would say there's been quite a lot of assumptions made before I joined in terms of who our audience is or um, right. where we want to go as a business, which has been a, yeah, an obvious challenge for any first insight manager to join a join a business um but it also has given me that blank canvas to to look at everything in a yeah one clean sort of slate and to yeah put my sort of mark on things um to help us move the move
0: the dial forward and when you joined was there a particular like pain point that you were being hired for specifically like was it like While we're, you know, our marketing isn't working as effectively as we'd like it to, or we really don't understand where the white space is. Like, was there a specific thing that you really needed to focus on when you joined? Um, So it it was the roles being created predominantly because there wasn't
1: that um, that hardcore skill set or researcher skill set within the business, Um, and to actually understand what. What, how is GPU performing in comparison to our sort of competitors? And that then okay. sort of dovetails into helping each and every sort of department within the business from our um, sort of purpose and sustainability angle all the way through to sort of commercial partnerships, ticketing, our event experience for people on site, um, broadcast and TV, marketing and brand awareness and that sort of brand building aspect and then also our sort of digital coverage of how we're sort of being thought about on on social media and across that sort of landscape as well
0: okay so yeah just like a small remit not a lot a not a lot to do tiny okay. a tiny yeah. piece,
1: of, <laughs> piece of the jigsaw uh which yeah means i have a quite a few fingers in pies um across the business yeah, as well.
0: sounds like it i mean how have you gone about prioritizing um, I mean, it sounds like that brand piece, like understanding where GP sits um, in comparison to its competitors, um, was a bit was a big priority. But besides that, how have you gone about prioritizing? Like, I don't know, um, all of the competing priority. Like you just listed yeah, like yeah. ten different departments. So yeah, how have you gone about figuring that out?
1: <laughs> With a lot of. Um wine and chocolate biscuits at the end of the day uh, <laughs> to think about what i actually need to um what i need to do during the week um but i think one of the key when i'm sort of prior- prioritizing different projects and there's, there's a lot of as you can imagine sort of competing time scales and competing projects to look through um and it's it's one of the key questions i Ask myself is which which of these projects is going to help us move the dial commercially as a business, okay, or else we just won't exist. At the end of the day, um, we're here to um, we're here to make money as a business, but also grow our sort of brand awareness as a as a sport. Um, so those projects that tick either of those boxes, or or at least one get sort of pushed up the that sort of priority list for me personally um, but then it's also thinking about those projects that are maybe sort of quick wins that are a, a bit of a, a sort of analysis piece of work that I could do quite quickly for a, a particular department versus those sort of long-term projects that need a lot more planning and a lot more process involved to to make them work effectively as they as they should do um, at the company.
0: And what's been the most challenging piece of, you know, the last six months, um, in terms of setup?
1: Yeah, good, good question. I think um, one of the big challenges I've I've had is the fact that at, when I was at agency side, everyone was talking about research. Um, so they'd come to work, talk about research. Mm. They'd um, be sending emails about research. It was all about research. Apart from if, like, the football was on or. England, we're doing well in the World Cup. But when I'm at, say, GP and, and client side, it's very different because everyone's got a, a different competing... Um, right. Yeah, they've all got their different job roles. They are all focused on on some part of the business, whether that's hospitality, um, our sort of commercial strategy, purpose and sustainability. And their job isn't to conduct research. Um, So I'm competing for everyone's time at the table, effectively. You're a department Uh, of
0: one now, as opposed to being like this giant sort of research company where everyone's doing something similar.
1: Absolutely. So I'm sort of competing for people's time, but also competing to make sure that research and insight is being thought about when we're making different business decisions. So it's a case of, yeah, trying to make sure that people know who I am across the business Mm. um and also making sure that my sort of foot is in the the door I've got my elbow slightly through the that sort of door to make sure that oh I need to ask Jake about about this before we make a decision um to make sure that we're fully understanding yeah what what decisions we're making as a business which are sort of insight led
0: yeah yeah I think the way you've uh contextualized that is really important because it is very challenging to figure out and I'm not in insights, but as a marketer myself, like within dig, sometimes you're trying to figure out how do you make sure that you're in the right place at the right time Mm
1: -hmm. so that
0: people know when to bring you in? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you see it. Like I think every company has this where a project will get so far along and you haven't been brought in and you're like, Oh, if you just brought me in at like three (laughs) weeks ago or four weeks ago, um, I could have helped with XYZ or we might have been in a different place. Yeah. Um, you I sound super full sounds super no. full of myself right now. I'm like, if you'd only included me, this would have been far better.
1: <laughs> what what are your thoughts on the challenges between sort of the remote working and being in the office in terms of that like yeah. collaboration of like knowing what's happening at the pulse rather than like your example of not being made aware of a a project do you think that remote life has hindered that in some way
0: yeah I I mean I love working remote um, which is funny because I didn't think I would Um, but I do really like it that being said I think it was so much easier for me to be like Mm. hey whoever Jim like whoever it is Um, did you see that thing I posted in the Slack channel? Um, And they're like, oh, right, sorry, I'll get right to it. Um, Or like me saying, hey, what do you think of this design? Or like, what do you Mm -hmm. think of this copy? Like really quickly to the person sitting next to me. I loved that collaboration. Um, And I do think in the situation we're discussing now of like being brought in at the right times and knowing when to work together on something, like even just going to... Um, the kitchen in the office, like grabbing a coffee and you like Mm -hmm. have like this random conversation with someone and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm working on this thing. Like, I do think that there is something lost for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and
0: I think we're all just trying to figure out how we can replicate that because I don't think the world world is, I don't think the majority of at least the industry that I work in, I don't think the majority of companies are going to go back to full time. Mm -hmm. Um, in office there's like definitely a benefit to that hybrid model um but yeah i just i think we're all just trying to figure out how to how to make do with with remote um and sort of try to replicate that i don't know what do you think yeah no definitely i
1: completely agree i think um you pick up a lot of interesting conversations just when you go and make a cup of coffee or um you go to the the biscuit cupboard to get some some goodies
0: you're like the most british you've mentioned biscuits (laughs) i think three times
1: (laughs) i am if you if if i used to get uh in i used to have my profile message on linkedin as a um, big fan of coffee and cookies so a lot of linkedin message messages i would get is um, do you fancy meeting up and I can, we can provide sort of cookies and, and coffee. Oh, for Oh, wow.
0: Yeah.
1: I got, um, yeah, got a lot of people messaging me after that to say more than happy to provide some cookies uh, for a 30 minute conversation. <laughs> well, so, you're yeah. making
0: it pretty easy for them to know, exactly. you know, get a get away in, which is, that's Doing kind of real. Own market research. Yeah. At the end, really. <laughs> um, all right, i I'm conscious of time, and I do want to dive into this next topic before we go into the rapid fire questions. so awesome. when when we initially chatted, we talked about choosing your like your research stack mm-hmm. um, and how you do that. And I think that we've actually had people sort of uh, comment on LinkedIn posts and like be really interested in, you know, people who are sort of younger in their career, like how do you, when you move to the client side from having some agency experience, how do you decide which providers you work with, um, whether that's, you know, SaaS technology, whether that's um, actual agency partners. So walk me through the process of sort of, and I don't know where you're at in that in that journey at SaleGP, but walk me through like how you went through selecting what you needed, budgeting, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so I think um, we're on that journey now where we're sort of selecting partners and selecting, um, yeah, different providers to to help with that sort of data journey that we're, we're on. Um, I think when it comes to some key criteria that I look for in a, a SaaS or a tech stack, I think one of the main ones that I look out for is their sort of long-term vision. So you'll see, you'll see mm-hmm. some SaaS providers that are very much we've built this product and this is our product for for the long term, and this is what we're going to sell, um, which is fine. It's that's a no bad model. Um, but what I do look out for is those SaaS companies who have created a product but then they've also got this roadmap which they happily share to Mm. clients um, to understand actually what is the roadmap for the next 6-12 months of that product because everything's changing um there's new tech there's new tools there's new ways of working um there's new ways of analyzing data and sharing information that um you want that clear i would want that clear understanding that this tech company or, or SaaS provider is isn't just standing still they're, they're moving at the same pace as what i'm trying to move out move at. um so yeah that's really important to understand that sort of roadmap and i think there's a lot of companies out there who openly share their sort of roadmap and and what features they're looking to to mm-hmm. um to create and i think that's really really good um I think other things are simple things like features. Um, and I always find it quite interesting doing the comparisons when you're when you're only looking for for one solution. They might there might be sort of five or six different sort of partners or or tech providers you could go to. Um, and it's really tricky to sort of pinpoint actually what, what features do all of them do. Completely the same, yeah. And what features do some of them do? Eighty percent. Some of them might do ninety percent of it. Others might do ninety-eight percent. And understanding actually what that sort of feature comparison landscape is like, um, and then yeah, I think the final Sorry, one is probably gonna... about, know, the final <laughs> one is probably that support behind the scenes in terms of some staff providers or their fast model, and and that is. That is it, which is fine. Um, others offer that account management, other sort of services on the side as a a tech stack, which is, yeah, useful in some times, but also not very useful at others. Yeah.
0: Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you before. I was going nice. to say, when it comes to comparing across different platforms, you should ask. <laughs> if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do. You should ask for... Um, the product marketer to join one of your calls because our product marketer like could answer all of those questions i'm sure that anyone's product marketer could could answer that question and it makes it way easier for you you're like okay so do you have this or this and who has that (laughs) um and the product marketer will probably happily share that information with you
1: they would but then my i always have the caveat in my mind that so there's a lot of if i go onto a a tech provider website I would say seven out of 10 times at the bottom of their website, they'll have this tech provider versus this tech provider. And what's the difference? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very... Do you trust it? It's very leading in in one way because you know, obviously, going to be sort of that leaning. So I'm always looking for that maybe external view on on each product because then it's not as leading as it could be. Um, Yeah. And yeah, to actually have a sort of a another viewpoint on on what the key differences are between between the different products.
0: Do you use software like G two to sort of compare against different providers? Yeah, so
1: G two, but also just like your standard asking people in yeah. the industry what what products they use, what they thought of them. Um, I'm hot on like searching on Twitter and, and LinkedIn for mm. the different service levels and complaints and, and things like that, which, like, as soon as I joined GP, I was sort of searching on LinkedIn and Twitter for the current providers that we used to understand actually what is the general oh, feeling yeah. about them. And that's when you start to see some of the, the cracks that start to, yeah, appear that, yeah, you may not really know about.
0: Cool. I feel like I could ask you questions about this all day, um, but (laughs) I won't bore the listeners with uh, questions about SaaS providers. I did want to finish up with just a question on like the agency partners. Like, are you planning on running everything in house, um, or are you hoping to partner with agencies? And when it comes to agency, if you are, like, what are you looking for from from that agency?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So I think it's a We'll be doing a, a bit of a, a dual process in terms of running a lot of research in-house um, as well as having some agency partners who will help us on some sort of specific research programs in the future. I think I any agency that we use and I think any yeah any of them that we work with at the moment would say that I I treat the agencies as partners not as agencies specifically so they're an extension to our team Um, and I think that's how that's when we both get value from from that sort of working relationship Um, so it means that yeah they can come into the office they can come into different meetings inside the office so they get to know the business a lot better so then they can actually provide some actionable insights for sale GP rather than them being quite generic Um, and yeah those sort of ways of trying to integrate agencies within the research and insight team is yeah really important to yeah how i want to work
0: cool very interesting thank you jake um okay three rapid fire questions number one tell us about a new novel way that you've gone about understanding an audience or your customer base recently
1: so I think that's combining all the different data sets that we, we've got at SaleGP from across sort of digital ticketing, um, brand health and our brand sort of brand health program, and also the other sort of data initiatives that we've got to create that all encompassing um, yeah, d- data ecosystem of a, a particular individual. So if Jake's SaleGP fan, then how else is he sort of connecting within our sort of ecosystem of marketing digital broadcasting content um merchandise ticketing all those sort of things which are sort of connecting the dots to to understand who that who that individual is
0: very cool where does something like that live like do you have sort of a a, (laughs) (laughs) how do you how do you keep that information uh
1: so we use oracle cloud um to house a lot of our sort of data and information um and as well as that, we've got like a research depository, which, like I said, sort of takes those sort of reports and, and insights and creates snippets of of, of insights and results for, for people to look at over time. So you never lose that, that information or knowledge. It just sits behind a, a website effectively for people to go into at any one time.
0: Cool. And who do you look to to understand where the industry is going next? You can take that, do you mean... I guess, the the sailing industry or the the research space? Interesting one. Good question. Um, So I think
1: one is I'm always looking out for those next industry reports or um, industry knowledge, and that might be just like a simple podcast of someone else speaking about the industry, or it could be, um, yeah, a, a wider industry report that we can use internally to say that actually this is where a, a sports fan is or this is what a sports fan is thinking of um in the next one or two years i think the issue with research though is that we're very very um or just as general individuals we're very bad at predicting the future so we'll get asked about oh what are we going to do tomorrow or what are we going to do in six months Mm. and we'll tell someone that oh yeah i'm going to go to a restaurant tomorrow or i'm going to um, sign up to go to that festival in, in six months when, in fact, that isn't the case. You completely forget about what you've previously done and what you are thinking about in the future. Um, so, I think one of the competing agendas that we've got as a sports and entertainment product is people's time. So, what's going to make you watch a piece of Sale GP content whilst you're on the bus or whilst you're on the tube or the subway? in comparison to reading an email or scrolling through Twitter and not, and not picking up a, a piece of sale content. So I'm always looking out for that. How can we, yeah, touch that nerve to, for someone to mm. yeah, be that sort of face of sale and sort of watch, watch our content versus doing something else.
0: Interesting. Okay. My final question is if you had one tip for, a researcher that's listening to this what would it be Ooh,
1: can I give one tip for agency and one tip for client side yeah go for it uh so I think uh agency side my number one tip would be to get yourself into a client side office once or twice a month each month so you you live and breathe the, your client's business and you live and breathe, yeah, what they're thinking about every day is part of their role. So then everything that you're providing them is is really focused on on their business and it's not generic. Um, and then client side, I'm putting myself on the spot here a little bit. I would say client <laughs> side, you should spend maybe less time creating reports and creating decks and more time communicating with individuals and creating content or small pieces of content um that then you can share with the wider organization um which will obviously yeah help to create those sort of actionable insights more and more
0: thank you so much jake this has been really really interesting Um, and yeah, I will include your, your LinkedIn, uh, a link to your LinkedIn so that people can follow along um, on your journey transitioning over to the client side. Thanks so much. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights. And don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.